Good morning, Grace Hills. How you guys doing this morning? Man, we got a packed house today. That's great. That is so great. Thank all you guys for coming out here and braving this weather. Hey, guys, we might need to get some more cheers from the back to cover for everybody. And it's hot in here. Can we turn down the air? So we can, it's kind of warm, so we can take care of that. No, guys, really welcome. Thank you for coming. We love each and every one of you. Thank you so very, very, very much. So, Happy New Year. With the new year, everyone has what? New Year resolutions. I want to grow some more hair, so I'm trying. <laughs> With resolutions, there's also um, declarations. And now, it seems like everyone has a new word for the year. That word is supposed to keep them focused on what they're going to do for the year. And Grace Hills has a year, too. Has a new word, too. And that word is going to be renew. Renew. How can we renew ourselves? And that's great. But there's also another word that we want to talk about, and it's the word of God or the logos. So as we begin a new sermon series this year, focusing on the Gospel of John, we're going to talk about that word and what that word means. This sermon is going to be entitled, The Life of Christ, with a little caveat. Why? Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a very brief synopsis of the Gospel of John, brief little introduction, where it's at and where it's going. So let's get started. The Bible has lasted hundreds of years since its first publication. Since the first uh, translation and printing of the Bible, it is arguably the most printed and published book ever. Except maybe Ernest Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea. I love that book. So today the Bible is being actively published in more than 200 countries and territories. Just think, 200 countries and territories. It's not really because of us that that happens. It's another reason why. It's also illegal to have a Bible, and we have a map showing where the most dangerous places to own a Bible are. Now, as that map comes up, I want to say this. Normally, we would go here to source our information tell you where we got this map from so that you know that it's real and that we just didn't get it. We're not going to source, I'm not, I'm not going to source this information today simply because this protects Christians that are in those lands actively trying to preach the gospel. So you see that we took the names off of the uh, countries and just everything. I'm going to mention one because everyone knows about it. Well, two, because everyone knows about it. But um, the black says COVID operations only. That means that you can't be out at all. Not only is it illegal, but they actually have to go underground with their work. And we're very thankful for those that do that. The red, not orange thing means that, the, that it's illegal or highly restrictive. Highly restrictive. You cannot own a Bible in those countries. And um, the orange means that it's dangerous and or difficult to, to do that. So Here's a list of 52 countries where the Bible is illegal or severely persecuted. It's, it's, it's no um, surprise that Egypt is on that list. Jared, I guess they're still a little upset over their Red Sea moment. I get that. I thought it was interesting to know that China 
where it's illegal to own a Bible, that according to one source, a Bible printing company over there is the largest there and one of the largest printing companies in the world for Bibles. So that was kind of, I'm like, what's going on here? It wasn't really about money for him. It's about something else. So why has the word lasted so very long? It's not protected by governments, as we can see from this map, but yet it's still here. Why? Well, why don't we keep that thought as we stand for the reading of God's word? Today, the word of God is going to be coming from 1 Timothy 2, chapter 1 through 7. We're going to be reading from the English Standard Version. The word of God reads, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Pay attention to verse 4. Who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed as a preacher and as an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Please be seated in the presence of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. So if you've been here over our last um, several series, up until this point, we've discussed the time leading up to Jesus' birth. In this next series, we hope to uplift everyone with a series concerning the ministry of Jesus. Today, I hope to convey the why of Jesus during our introduction to the Gospel of John. So, the Gospel of John, who wrote it? Many people say many things, but it is widely believed that the Apostle John wrote wrote this book. When was it written? Instead of, instead of getting you a time frame and saying 55 to 85 or 98 AD, we're going to say that it was written somewhere around the early first century. Where was it written? I'm not going to tell you in Philippi or anywhere else. I'm going to tell you that it was written in Asia Minor. All of those answers will be correct. Why am I being so vague? Not really being vague, but we're not going to argue about the word of God. Why? Because John 1 tells us of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John 3.16 tells us of God's love. John 20.31 tells us why we have the word of God. And it's simply to glorify God. And John 21-25 through 25 says this, If every one of the things Jesus did were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that have been written. Think of that. If every one of the things that Jesus had written down has, had done were written down, we wouldn't have room for all the books that were written in Asia Minor at that time. It would have covered that entire land. How many books of that is that? If that's so many books, then how many works do we not know about? So we have faith that the word of God came to do exactly what the Father um, asked it to do. In light of these words of John, we should not be surprised that we have four accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible. For each of the four Gospels gives us details about our Lord that are not found in the others. Never forget, these four accounts of Jesus' life aren't merely interesting stories. 
Instead, they are accurate historical accounts of the most important e event in human history, the greatest man that ever lived, the coming of God's son into the world, because he came that we can know God and know what God is like. And because he came, we can be saved from sin and imperfection. This is good news, which is exactly, which is exactly why the, the gospel of John was written, but it's exactly what the word gospel means. John 1. John 1 announces a lot of things. First, is that it announces the word in verse 1. It announces that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world in verse 9. It also says that any that received him or believed in his name would have the right to become the children of God or reconcile to God in verse 12. One publication asks this. What does John 1 1 and 14 mean when they declare that Jesus is the word of God. The answer to this question is, is found first by understanding the reason why John wrote his gospel. We find his purpose clearly stated in John 20, 30 through 31, which reads, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That was the whole purpose of it. So that we can have a testimony of Jesus Christ so that we could believe. Once we understand that John's purpose was to introduce his readers to his gospel of Jesus Christ, establishing who Jesus is, God in the flesh, and what he did, all with the sole aim of leading them to embrace the saving work of Christ and faith. We would be better to understand why John introduced Jesus as the word in John 1. So let's talk about the term logos. What does the term logos really mean? In looking at Strong's Concordance, Clay, which a lot of people, I think, I think you may use it from time to time, but you're really a concordance yourself, time to time, gotcha, right? In looking at Strong Concordance, um, the term logos means this, a word as embodying an idea, a statement, a speech. Clay, I don't speak Greek, so I don't know what that is. The phonetic spelling of logos is simply logos. Very simple. Um, so if it's a word, what type of word is it? I'd like us to keep in mind this. As John 1, 1 says, in the beginning, remember that the book of Genesis, the first book of Bible, begins with, in the beginning. By starting out his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John is introducing Jesus with a word or term that both his Jewish and Gentile believers or readers would have been familiar with. The Greek word translated Word in this passage is logos, which we just talked about. It was common in both Greek philosophy and Jewish thought during that day. So it was really um, smart of John to use that in that way. For example, in the Old Testament, the word of God is often personified as an instrument for the execution of God's will. We can find that in Psalm 33, 6, 107, 2, 119, and 147, 15 through 18, which we heard earlier. So for his Judas, for, so for his Judas, Jewish readers, by introducing Jesus as the word, John does one very important thing. 
he is pointing his readers back to the Old Testament. Remember at one time we said that in Genesis 3 that God introduces the Savior of the world. He introduces what he's going to do in order to help us solve our issue that we got ourselves into. So John here points his Jewish readers back to that. Thus, he embraces them. He gets them on his side. They're like, okay, this guy knows what what he's talking about because most Jewish readers at that time knew the Old Testament book. Now, what about his Greek counterparts? Well, in Greek philosophy, the term logos was used to describe the immediate agency by which God created material things and communicate with them. In the Greek worldview, the logos was thought to be a bridge between the transcendent God and the maternal material universe. Therefore, for his Greek readers to use the term logos, that would likely have brought forth the idea of a meditating principle between God and the world. So if you put God and the world together, what bridge do you need in order to bridge that? You need a word or an action or the son who came and did what the father told him to do. Thus, Jesus Christ being the word of God. So essentially what John is doing by introducing Jesus as the logos, he's drawing upon a familiar word and a concept that both Jews and Gentiles of his day would have been familiar with and is using that as a starting point from which he introduces them to Jesus Christ. So what he's really doing is witnessing. He's giving them something familiar that they know about, taking down their defenses, which allows his note to witness to them. Just brilliant, I thought. John goes beyond the familiar concept of logos that his Jewish and Gentile readers would have had and presents Jesus Christ not as a mere meditating principle like the, Jew, like the Greeks perceived, but as a personal being, fully divine, yet fully human. Also, Christ was not simply a personification of God's revelation as the Jews thought but was indeed God's perfect revelation of himself in the flesh, so much so that John would go on to record Jesus' own words to Philip by saying, Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say show us the Father? Think of that. Think of Philip asking Jesus, show us the Father. And he's right there in front of him. Have we not been so long in reading God's word that we not know who the word is? By using the term logos or word, John is amplifying and applying a concept with which his audience was familiar and using that to introduce his readers to the true logos of God, Jesus Christ. The living word of God Fully God, yet fully man, who came to reveal God to man and redeem all who believe in him from their sin. Let's do a little housekeeping. Oftentimes, we as, 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 as leaders and shepherds and pastors, oftentimes we tend to look at passages and ask ourselves, how can this relate to our body? Because we get so caught up in God asking us to look over the flock. We're so caught up in that. Sometimes I'll bother reading our thoughts or word about the church. How can we help the church? How can we enable them? How can we embolden them? How can we 
edify them? How can we lift them up? Well, we forget that sometimes God has asked us to feed and protect and shepherd. We miss the fact that we must first ask ourselves, what does this passage tell us about Jesus? Thus, it is with much labor and much effort that during my preparation for this, I had to come back and say, I had a whole sermon done. I had to come back and say, wait, what is it saying about Jesus? What is it saying about Jesus? Not what it's saying about the church, but what is it saying about Jesus? So um, I, I got caught up in all sorts of things like ologies and isms and ends. For instance, Christology. Christology is the study of Christ. Instead of being concerned with what it takes to be a Christian or what it takes to be Christ-like or simply what it takes to be a disciple of Christ. So I stand before you guilty of trying to shepherd entirely too much. With that said, I want to say this about Jesus' earthly course. Jesus did and said everything that the Father told him to. At John 5, 19, we read, so Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. So Jesus there is admitting, hey, I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing what the father tells me to. Bottom line. It's not what I want. It's what the father wants. He also said at John 8, 28 and 29, he said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the father has taught me. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm not saying what I want to say. I'm saying what God sent me to say, because I am the word. Thus, Jesus can be said to be the word, allowing us to hear from God personally and allowing God to speak to us, giving us a perfected hope. Logos is connected with God's powerful activity in creation. We learn that it, it was by God's word that the heaven and earth was made. See, God simply spoke it and the word made it happen. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hover, hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So the word did some action there. God spoke it and the word did some action. Let's talk about that darkness. Jesus is often called the light of the world. He came into what we consider a dark world. Many scholars associate darkness by one thing, the absence of light. So if we were to turn out the lights in the room, we're not going to do that today. We have too many people here. If we were to turn out the lights in the room, it would be completely dark. You couldn't see me punch Jared. You couldn't see it because it'd be completely dark. However, 
if just as I was about to punch Jared, the lights came on, it would do what? It would bring out my sin of punching my brother. Well, our deeds can't be seen in darkness. Light exposes our deeds, whether they be deeds of helping others or whether they be deeds that we'd rather not mention, like punching Jared. So during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, what happened? He really brought out a lot of the bad deeds of the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders of that day. Thus, the light of the world exposed the darkness, exposed those deeds, got rid of the darkness so people can see, brought their deeds to the, the, fair front, the front of, uh, of the people. Knowing that many influential people were exposed by Jesus' words from the Father, you can probably imagine why they wanted him killed. One of the reasons why they wanted him killed. And also even why Herod wanted him killed before birth. He didn't want his deeds exposed. And that's what the light of the world, the world, the word of God would have done. If you, if you can imagine that, you can probably also imagine why people don't like listening to your witness. Whether it's singing, whether it's talking to someone at work, at the grocery store or something like that. Because they're complacent in doing what they want to do. Not that they're necessarily doing something bad, but it takes a little effort to squeeze through that door because it's narrow. It takes a little effort to go through that path that's kind of crooked and not straight. It's because of the light. So the word of God, as you witness it to others, exposes deeds. It's the light of the world, the word of God. Why is the light so important to us? Why is the word so important to us today? The word of God. Our Bible, our truth. Well, it was a message that was sent to us. Sent to us, why? Well, it was sent to us so that we could know who God is. The word wasn't just for the Jews of that day or the Greeks of that day. It wasn't just for those people of that day. We know that because the Bible still stands today. It's still here for all of us to read, for all of us to gain knowledge from for all of us to get to know God from, is still alive and is sharper than any two-edged sword. As it relates to John's message, the Bible is, the, the word of God is saying one thing, but several things. First, it's saying God loves you. Why do you say that, James? Well, very simply put, the word of God became flesh, came to earth to die for our sins. Why would somebody do that if they didn't care? It's real simple. Because we love you. Why would someone come to my house and help me with my water pipes if they didn't care? It wasn't just because. It's because they care. Why do you serve your neighbors and families and husbands and wives? It's because you love them. So God loves us because he sent his word into the world. Why did he send his word into the world? Because he wants us to be saved. We said that earlier. It's God's desire that no man perish, 
but that everyone live and attain to an accurate knowledge of God, the truth, the word of God. John tells us all this in his word. In, in trying to develop this theme, it was important for us not to step on everyone else's stuff going forward. So a little stuff that you hear today, you're going to hear a lot of that in the coming weeks. God sends his message or word through his son, through himself. Why? Again, because he loves us, because he wants us to be saved. What does it take to be saved? Very simple. All you have to do is believe in his son and you may be saved. John word, John tells us that in John 1, 1 through 3. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we may be saved. What are we going to be saved from? This world, this sin and imperfection, eternal death. What does it take to be saved? Very simple. Believing in Jesus. Believing that he's the son of God, that God raised him from the dead. And that he is God. Very simply put, perhaps you say, hey, listen, James, I can't do that by myself. I just simply can't. As I begin to close, there are going to be people up here. There are going to be people in the back. There are going to be people maybe out in the foyer. I'm not sure. If you want to talk about what it takes for salvation, please come up and talk to those people. Go to the back and talk to those people. Pull anyone here aside and we can help you for that. If this is your first time here and you don't want to do that, there are some communication cards in your chair. You can just fill that out, put it in the box in the back. There's a little white box right there in the back-hand corner, and you, and you can put it there. Or if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can just simply leave it in your chair. Today we aren't, um, we aren't passing baskets, so we're going to ask that if you like to give, that you just simply do that online or you use the box in the back in order to do that. With that said, guys, we love each and every one of you. The word of God is real, it's alive, and it's here for you, for each and every one of you. John says it. The other gospel accounts agree with it. The word of God as a whole agrees that God loves each and every one of you. We urge you to accept that love. If you need any kind of prayer or anything, as we stated earlier, there will be people here in the back and in the foyer that, that are more than happy to pray for you. We love you and we thank you. I ask that you allow us to pray. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for your word. The word that you sent, the word that you gave up, your son, that you gave up for our sins. Thank you for sending your word to us. Thank you for sending you to us so that we can see what you want us to do, so that we can see what it means to be like you or what it takes to be like you, so that we can follow your example and listen to what the things that you've said. Thank you for the written word and how it impacts us and how it helps us grow. Thank you for everyone here those that were able to make it here personally and those that are watching online. Thankful, thank you for those that, are, that couldn't come because of COVID or other restrictions they may have, even the weather. 
Thank you for them, Father. We just ask that you watch over our brothers and sisters wherever they may be. We ask that special blessing, Father, against our brothers and sisters that are in foreign and distant lands, especially those that, that are part of our Grace Hill family. Be with them, Father, and keep them safe. We know that it's a dangerous thing to, to, to witness about you and to tell others about you, but it's like a fire burning within us, and we've got to tell someone, not simply because you commanded it, because, but because we also love you. We're thankful for you. We thank you for accepting us just as we are right, right where we are today, Father. We leave this service in your care and keeping, and it's in the name of your dear son, Jesus Christ, our ransom and redeemer, the word of God that we pray. Amen, amen, amen.